So there's this game that's out. It's called Would You Rather. It says, Would You Rather, and then it gives you two options, and you have to choose one over the other. I don't know if anybody's played that before, but we're going to play it right now, just for a few minutes, okay? Um, So the first question is, would you rather take a European sightseeing vacation or a relaxing Caribbean vacation? Who would go with European? Raise your hand. Who would go relaxing Caribbean? Okay, I wonder if our, our answers would be different if we asked that in, say, December or January. Maybe, might be a little bit different. Um, would you rather be able to fly yourself or read people's minds? Who says, I would like to fly? Ah, I would love to fly. Who says, read people's minds? Yeah, a few of you. I've, I've thought about that a little bit, but that way, I don't, don't want to know what people are thinking. Um, you know, I already know what some think, and I, I don't like it, so... Uh. Okay, would you rather go without the internet or go without your cell phone? I, you know what? I get that. Who says, who says internet? Raise your hand. Who says cell phone? Wow, you know, you can make a, a, a conscious decision to get rid of your cell phone. They still offer landlines in homes today, you know. Um, I still have one, actually. Um, okay, here, how about this one? Would you rather eat a bowl of lutefisk or a bowl of slimy slugs? Okay, now, the, the person that says slugs obviously knows what lutefisk is. Okay, lutefisk is a fish. It, it, it's, it's, a Swedish, it's a Swedish dish that my mother fixed every Christmas Eve, which we had to eat at least one bite of before we opened presents. I mean, she read, my family read poems about it, peeling the, the wallpaper off the walls, and our dog wouldn't even eat it. We threw out what was left, and he wouldn't touch it. I don't know many dogs that wouldn't touch most things. Our dog would not touch Lutefisk. Early in the early days, when our ancestors first came to America, they shipped this cod over to, to America on sailing ships. And they would dry it on the docks over there. They would ship it over here. I don't know. They couldn't catch cod in the ocean here, I guess. I don't know. Um, but but when, when they got it here, um, it was dry. You know, it was, it was like a board. That's how I envision it. A two-by-four, okay, of lutefisk, of cod. They would soak it in lye, okay, to soften it. Then they would rinse it several times to get the lye out because lye is poisonous, right? Um, and, and then they poach it in cheesecloth, in hot water, and, and then serve it. It, it. By the time it's served, it looks like jelly. And, uh, and then, of course, my mom, who wasn't Swedish, but was carrying on the Swedish tradition of our family, um, would serve it on a bed of rice 
then the lute fisk, which you had to kind of glob off of the spoon onto the rice, and then you would douse it in creamed egg sauce. Yes. Okay, so who says lute fisk? Raise your hand. Dick, you love it, don't you? You love lute fisk. Who says slimy slugs? Who wants some other choice? Yes! Right! Exactly. And you know, when you think about America and you think about all the things that we have in America, we have lots of choices. And, and oftentimes it doesn't come down to one or the other. There's always a third or a fourth or a fifth or a sixth. Well, we're going to find in our passage today, as we conclude our series on the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus says there's two choices. He says, I'm giving you two choices. There's not a third. It's this or it's this. You can't choose neither. You've got to choose. It's this or it's this. And it's a pretty challenging thing. Um, so let's go to our passage. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to do two verses this morning, 13 and 14. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. We covered most of the end of chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount at the very beginning of this sermon series. And if, you're, if, if you want some teaching on that, please go online, northhillsbaptist.net, and, and listen to that. And, and then I'm going to leave verses 15 through 20 for you to ponder this week as, as we leave here, having gone over uh, verses 13 and 14. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many, many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now what is initially striking about that verse, those two verses, is, is, is their absolute nature. I mean, I, we would probably practically prefer several other choices other than just those two, um, kind of like the slug and the loot fisk. I mean, we're that way by nature. You know, when, when you applied for college, you probably didn't just apply to one. You pl- applied to half a dozen. And then you got accepted to three or four, maybe. And then you chose from those three or four. You, you wanted to have choices. When you go into a restaurant, and if you opened the menu and there were two things, and you, didn't either, and, and you didn't like either one of them, you probably wouldn't eat there. You would drink your water or pay for your soda that you were already served, and you, you would probably leave. I love restaurants that post the menu out on the outside, outside window so you can see what they have, you can see how much it is, am I going to go in there and commit to this or not? Um, we love it when we go into a restaurant, and, well, sometimes it's sort of the other way. Oh, it all looks so good, you know, how can I make a choice? But um, there's that. And then, and then when you get bad news from the doctor... And it's just not very encouraging. And, and the doctor says, um, well, there's two options. And, and, and you don't like either option. Um, there isn't a third option. And, and that's kind of where Jesus is with us today. There's, there's two choices. And he, and he contrasts these choices in a very, very simple way. It's two verses. And we're going to go through those four contrasts here this morning. So, so what lies in front of all of us is, is an inescapable choice. I kind of wished I'd titled the sermon The Inescapable Choice instead of The Narrow Road, but it, it's, it's kind of the same thing. Now, it's, it's mentioned this inescapable choice is mentioned throughout the Old Testament. In fact, in the very beginning, Genesis chapter through 2 and 3, there's this inescapable choice that Adam and Eve have. God puts them in the Garden of Eden and He says, look, I've given you all of this, all of these trees, all of these plants, all of this stuff. It's for you. Except for this one tree over here, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, don't touch it. Don't, don't eat of it. And, and what happens? That, that they had an inescapable choice. And what choice did they make? 
They chose to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I think, how on earth could, how hard can it be to not eat from one tree when you've got all, just stay away from it. Don't even, put a fence around it. You know, don't even go near it. But, but that's not what happened. And, and sometimes I think, man, I'm glad, Adam, I'm glad it was Adam and Eve because if, if life had come to the point of me, I would have been the one. It, it, it would have been me that, that made the, the wrong choice when it came to that. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good. They, they could even eat from the tree of life. That was an option until they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and then God didn't want them to eat from the tree of life at that time. It went against what God had commanded. And mankind has done, has done this century upon century when it comes to religion. Um, you know, there's got to be more choices and, and we make them up. We, we have charismatic leaders who rise up and say, well, I've, I got this special revelation and it's this, it's, it's this. And then before long that leader's gone and, and, and yet there's still major religions out there who continue to hold on to, to these things. And, and essentially what it is, it, it's, it, it's just options. You know, it, it, I disagree that there's only one way to heaven. There's got to be others. And, and, and then we make those up and then we, follow the, the, we try to follow those things. But ultimately, Jesus points out to us that there is only one choice. Because there are only two possibilities to choose from. First of all, there are two ways. There are two ways, Jesus said. Uh, this, again, is in the Old Testament. Turn over to Psalm chapter 1. Hold your finger in Matthew chapter 7 and turn over to Psalm chapter 1. If you're not familiar with the Bible, if you just take it and you fold it and you find the middle and you open it up, you should open pretty close to Psalms. If it's Proverbs, turn left. Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yield its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Two ways. There's two ways. There's, there's, there's the hard way and there's the easy way. The way of the righteous who delight in God's law bear fruit and prosper, it says in Psalm 1. And, and in contrast to that is the way of the wicked who are driven out like chaff before the wind and perish. And Jesus elaborates on that picture with his words on the mountainside. And, and he says that, that, there, that one road is easy to travel. It's the easy way. Now, the word easy means broad or spacious or roomy. And there's plenty of room on the broad road. Plenty of room. I mean, it's the road of tolerance and permissiveness. There are no boundaries. There are no curbs. There, there are no fences. No limits to thought or conduct. Whatever feels right. Right? I mean, for crying out loud, just, just follow your heart. Just do it already, is what our culture says. Follow your heart. Follow your hormones. Follow your physical inclinations. Superficiality, self-love, hypocrisy, mechanical religion, false ambition. These things don't have to be learned, John Stott says. We, 
we are inclined to them. And he's right. There, there is no effort required to practice those things. The effort comes in resisting them, in holding them at bay. That is why the broad road is easy. It's a piece of cake. The other way is the hard way. That road is narrow, Jesus says. Its boundaries are clearly marked, and its narrowness is due to something called divine revelation, and we hold it in our hands right here today. God's divine revelation to us. Fences, boundaries, curbs, commands, precepts. And it's good to meditate on them day and night. God has revealed to us what is good. He has revealed to us what is true. He has, re- he, he has revealed to us, it's the other whatevers that Paul says, do whatever that is good and right and pure and holy. Not do whatever you feel like doing. C.S. Lewis described it in his autobiography how as a schoolboy of 13, see, C.S. Lewis wasn't always a Christian, he, he, he began to broaden his mind, his words. He said, I was soon altering I believe to one does feel. If one does feel like this, then that is what he should do, or that is what he should follow, or that is what he should obey. And he says, oh, the relief of it. From the tyrannous noon of revelation, I passed into the cool evening twilight of higher thought. And in his quote, higher thought is capitalized. Where there was nothing to be obeyed and nothing to be believed except what was either comforting or exciting. I mean, it, it is a true fact that revealed truth, what the Bible commands, and uh, that the Bible commands us to how we're to follow, what uh, the words of Jesus himself describe, what we're to believe and how we're to behave. We've been talking about it for eight weeks. And in that sense, because of all of the possibilities out there in the world, all the temptations of a better life and promises of a better life come to us. Say, come experience me. I mean, your, your kids see this every day, probably. They, you bring them to church or you're teaching them how to live right and they look at their friends and their friends are just living however they want to, doing whatever they want and it looks fun. It looks like they're having a grand old time and, and then here they are with these rules and these fences and these curves that they have to follow. Or maybe, maybe your, your children have friends at school who their families are really well off and they get whatever you know, recent electronic device comes out, they have it. New car, they have it. And your kids are sitting on this side learning, learning good things, learning that, that, that you, know, you work hard and, and you don't just get everything spoon-fed to you and that sort of thing. Yet they're looking at the other side going, ah, oh, stinks to be me. Sometimes that's what they say. And, that, and that's the whole temptation of it. And, and that's why I think it's that Jesus calls it the hard road, because it, it is hard. It's not easy. But sometimes the best things aren't the easiest things. Oftentimes the best things are the hardest things. The world wants to say that the narrow road is not a fun road. I disagree. I think it's a blast. I don't think that my life is boring. My kids might think my life is boring. I don't think my life is boring. I think life is fun. Um, there's lots of bumps. There's lots of hills. There's lots of mountains to climb. Yes, there are. But in Christ, life is an incredible gift. 
it's an adventure. And, and I don't know why anybody wouldn't want to be a part of that adventure. Uh, Chrysostom put it this way centuries ago. This is what he said. Christ's hard and narrow way is also to be welcomed as his easy yoke and light burden. Matthew chapter 11, 29 and 30 is where he took that from. Jesus says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let's learn from Him. Because when we think of yoke, we think of the yoke on the oxen, right? It's Jesus' yoke. He's a, remember back when we talked about the law, and, and, and earlier on in the Sermon on the Mount, if, if this is your first message that you're here for today, um, Jesus talks about the fact that that, that he didn't do away with the law. The law is still in full act. He, he didn't, not, not one jot, not one tittle, it's still all there. He didn't do away with it. He fulfilled it. By his actions on the cross, he fulfilled it. He did what was required by the law on our behalf. And we receive that. He works that out in our life. And, and we especially need to remember that when we're, when we're struggling to follow Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. Because we're going to struggle. His yoke is easy. He carries it. So there's two ways, the easy way or the hard way. There are also two gates, Jesus says. Verse 13, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road. So, so there's this wide gate. In fact, I, I think the gate is so wide we don't even know it's a gate. I mean, we, we don't even see it. And, and it leads to the broad road. I guess it's simply a matter of being on the broad road. The, the, gate, the gate is there, but it doesn't limit us in the amount of luggage that we can bring through the gate. You, you don't have to deprive yourself of anything on the wide road, on the broad road. You don't have to leave anything behind. You can do it all. You can bring it all. It's, it's kind of like the difference between taking your car and an airplane on a trip. Um, Sarah, my wife, and, and my youngest daughter uh, left early this morning to go to Minnesota to see our oldest daughter and our grandson. And they took the car. And I saw the list that Brittany made a week ago of stuff that she was going to take. Now, I didn't see her luggage, um, but I'm guessing there was two or three pieces to it. Uh, she didn't have to leave anything home. I mean, they got the back seat, they got the huge trunk, they could take whatever they want to, to Minnesota. Leave nothing behind. That, that's similar to, to the broad road, to the wide gate. N not even our sins or our self-righteousness or our pride. Nope, you can take that on the wide road. Keep it along with you. Our sexuality, no limits, none. No fences. Whatever you think or whatever you want to be, it's all good. In fact, it's lauded in our culture today. It, it reminds me of Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. ESPN gave their Courage Award last week. They always choose an athlete who shows extreme courage in life. And I watched lots of, of their specials on, on athletes who had courage. And there was this one young college basketball player who had cancer... Who, who just just pushed through it all to play basketball. And, and she got to play in her first college game, and it was one of those games where she's not a great athlete anymore. She's just 
reduced to, you know, not much fighting this cancer, and, and the other team kind of backs off and they let her score a basket. I mean, to me, that's courage. Who did they give it to? They gave it to Bruce Jenner. Bruce Jenner, who came out as a transvestite, he got the Courage Award. What's bad will be considered good, and what's good will be considered bad. It's happening right before our eyes. And honestly, I think it probably always has. It always has. That's the wide road. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are on the wide road. That's the wide gate, the wide road. John 3.17 and 18 says this, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. If you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have gone through the wide gate and you are on the, wide, you are on the broad road already. That's where, that's where we are without Christ. We're on the broad road. And then there's the narrow gate Jesus describes. Now, about a month ago, Brittany went on this trip to Chicago and they were flying. And I remember the list for that trip. And I remember all the questions. Well, how big can this piece of luggage be? And how big can this piece of luggage be? And, and if you've ever tried to fly anywhere and you didn't want to pay a checked bag fee, okay, you were going to take a carry-on and you took the maximum size, but you still had to leave stuff behind. You couldn't take everything you wanted to. Now, I know that's not a perfect illustration, but that's kind of like the narrow road. There's stuff that we have to surrender. The, the, the music that the girls, that, that Brittany picked for, for today, is, it's right along this line. We, I mean, we have to surrender. The narrow gate is easily missed. We need to be looking for it or have someone help us find it. Who are the people in your life who need just a little nudge to find the narrow gate? As Jesus said, it is as narrow as the eye of a needle in another passage. And in order to find it, we, we have to leave everything behind. Sin, selfishness, covetousness, even if necessary, Jesus at one point says, family and friends. All words of Jesus. Jesus said we must deny ourselves and follow Him. Alright, so what is the gate? This narrow gate. Who is the narrow gate? Who can tell me? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And it's very, very specific and descriptive when we look at John chapter 10, verse 9 that says that Jesus says this, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. You know, this gate is like a turnpike gate. It, it has to be entered one at a time. It's not like a, a broad gate that everybody walks through at the same time or is sort of granted this overall covering. It's, it's one person at a time. Jesus in John 14, 6 said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If, if you were talking to someone who didn't believe in God or who believed in something else, they would look at you and say, you are so narrow-minded. 
to think that it's only Jesus. And, and I think we can lovingly, gently respond, you know, honestly, I'm not the one that's narrow-minded. It was Jesus. He's the one that said, I am the only way. He's the one that said he is the truth and the life. So there's two roads, there's two gates, and third, there are two destinations. The broad road leads to what? Destruction. We don't have to look very far to see the destruction of the broad road. Psalm 1 describes it as prospering and perishing. Moses put it this way in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15 and 19. See, he says, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. And then Moses says, now choose life. Choose life. Don't choose death and destruction. So there's this destruction. I want to read to you the way that John Stott puts it in his, in his commentary. He says this about destruction. He says, Jesus did not define what he meant by this, and presumably the, pre- the precise nature of hell is as much beyond our finite understanding as the precise nature of heaven. But the, the terrible word destruction... And he says, terrible because God is properly the creator, not the destroyer, and because man was created to live, not to die, seems at least to give us liberty to say that everything good will be destroyed in hell. Love and loveliness, beauty and truth, joy, peace and hope, and that forever. He's saying, those things don't exist in hell. They're gone. It's terrible. It's destruction. He says it is a prospect too awful to contemplate without tears. For the broad road is suicide road, he says. And there are many people on that road. There are people that you and I know that are on that road. The other road, the narrow road that's reached through the narrow gate, gives what? Life. It gives life peace and joy and contentment here on the earth and amazing joy and peace and contentment in, in perfection on the other side of this life in heaven with our Savior, with our God, with our Creator. Fellowship with Him self, standing in His presence. Able to stand in His presence. Our Lord and King. The good things that we experience here on earth will be perfected in incredible ways in heaven. Thinking of the fullness and duration of his wonderful life, W.B. Hinson, a great preacher of a past generation, spoke from his own experience just before he died. He died in 1924, I believe. And this is what he said. I remember a year ago when a doctor told me, you have an illness from which you won't recover. I walked out to where I live five miles from Portland, Oregon, and I looked across at that mountain that I love. I looked at the river in which I rejoice, and I looked at the stately trees that are always God's own poetry to my soul. Then in the evening, I looked up into the great sky where God was lighting his lamps, and I said this, I may not see you many more times, but mountain, 
I shall be alive when you are gone. And river, I shall be alive when you cease running toward the sea. And stars, I shall be alive when you have fallen from your sockets in the great down-pulling of the material universe. We will all outlast those things in heaven with life. In life. Larry Burkett once told this story about a kindergarten, a kindergarten building that sat right on a corner of a busy highway. Cars going constantly. And although the school had a nice yard in which the children could play, at recess they would huddle right up against the building because they were afraid of the cars that were whizzing by. One day some workers came and they put a steel fence around the schoolyard and from that point on, the children used the entire playground. The fence didn't limit their freedom. It actually expanded it. Burkett went on to say, children need fences for they feel more secure having the discipline of clear boundaries. It's true for adults as well. We have freedom in the law of Christ. We have freedom in His commands. Uh, we, we have so much more life. There, uh, you know, when, when, when we're living uh, contrary to sin and, and the temptation of the world... There is a lot less anxiety. There is a lot less stress. A couple simple examples. A teenager, a teenager or a young adult that's sleeping with their girlfriend. They're not married. Okay? There's this constant worry and concern at that point because they're not committed to each other that she might get pregnant. It's constant. If, if they're engaged in a, in a, a God-honoring relationship, there's never any concern about that. There's never any anxiety. There's never any worry. When you drive down the highway, do you let off on the gas when you see a car that looks like a patrol car? Not if you drive the speed limit long enough. Early on, if you're just starting to drive the speed limit, it's just that knee-jerk reaction, right? It's that I'm guilty even if I'm driving the speed limit. Or you're passing one, right? He's going 50 out here or 60 and your other people are backing off and slowing down and you're like, you're used to you know, passing them or meeting them because you drive the speed limit and if you're driving the speed limit, you're doing nothing wrong so you can just drive right by him. Wave. Driving the speed limit. And then he does this instead of this, Right? You see, the, the, the world tries to convince us that this narrow road, this hard road that Jesus calls us to live, is boring and unexciting and not very fun, and, and, and that their stuff offers the life, that it's, it's experiencing those things that is the good, and it's just not true. There is much life on the narrow road. There is much life found in the commands and precepts of the Bible. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. And he is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. We have an inescapable choice to make. 
between two roads, two gates, and two destinations. And because of the nature of that decision and the infection of sin in our world, Jesus says that we will find two crowds. We'll find two crowds. Many, he says, enter through the broad gate and broad road, and only a few find the small gate and narrow road. Two crowds, many and few. The road to destruction, it looks like the streets of New York at 8 o'clock on a Monday morning. Hustling and bustling, jam-packed with people, compared to the road that leads to life, which sounds to me more like the sidewalks of downtown Lingle or Torrington at 8 o'clock on a Monday morning. There's people there, but they're not very many. Now, um, you, you would think, and, and it can be kind of confusing because it's like this, this terminology that Jesus uses, few and many. Um, you know, few is more than a couple, right? Um, a couple is two, a few is three or four, and, and then I forget what the next one is, but um, some. So we, we get a picture of that, and, and we wonder, well, how many then does that mean that there's going to be in heaven? I mean, it kind of limits our view of how many people are going to be in heaven. And we, we have to look at other scriptures to confirm that, that, that that's going to be a big number. Uh, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, John has seen it. He, it was revealed to him, and he says this, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding a palm and holding palm branches in their hand. No one could count. Okay? Heaven is going to be full. There's going to be lots of people, a multitude. Now, I want you to look at this pie chart. Now, and I actually didn't notice this this morning, but, but there's the, the chart for Christianity. And then you see, and, and that's a pretty big chunk, right? 33%. And then you see Islam and non-religious and Hinduism and primal indigenous and Chinese traditional and Buddhism and other and Sikhism and then Judaism is that little blue line. But then I noticed that under Christianity, they also included the Latter-day Saints, Jehovah's Witnesses, um, and a few others who do not hold to the truth of the Bible. And so that that percent of Christianity is actually smaller than what it is. And if you add all of those up, it's over 100% because they said right there, due to rounding and because upper bound estimates were used for each group, that it, it adds up to more than 100%. The point is, when you add all of those things up, it's over 70%. Over 70% are on the wide road, the broad road. 30%. That, that, that looks like a few and many to me. And, and if you calculated those percentages to the world population over however many hundreds of years, uh, I guess thousands of years that, that humans have been on the earth, you could see how there could be a multitude. But, but here's the thing. If, if that, you can take that down, right? If, if that few people are going to be in heaven, if, if that percentage of people are going to be in heaven, you look at the ratio, what is hell going to be like? Not good. And, and, and I wonder who those people are in your life and in my life who are on the broad road. And, and we're on the narrow road, but we're walking right alongside of them and we ain't saying nothing. 
And we don't know how long they're going to live. We don't know how long we're going to live. And we have the best news, the greatest story ever, ever recorded in history. Right here. Right here. And so I want to leave us with two things here this morning. First of all, which road are you on? Think about your life. Think about what you believe. Think about what Jesus says. Which road are you on? Are, are you traveling the broad road? Or have you stepped onto the narrow road through the narrow gate, which is Jesus Christ? Because believe me, it will be the best decision that you've ever made. The best decision. Paul says in Romans 10.9 that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. We can know. And when we do know and we screw up, when we make a mistake, when we choose badly, we can know that, that, that He is there to forgive us and to hold us up. But we also need to consider the fact that Jesus says, and in this next passage that we're not covering this morning, He talks about false prophets. And, and that, that you can tell a false prophet by the fruit that comes out of their life. And I think we need to expect the fruit, inspect the fruit in our own life. And, and we need to present that to, to the Lord. So, are you on the broad road or are, are you on the narrow road? Maybe you have questions about it. Maybe you're just not sure. Don't leave your questions unanswered. Write them on a Connect card. Mark, there, there's a spot on there that says, uh, uh, please have a pastor contact me. I'm, I'm not sure about this narrow gate. Mark that on your Connect card and put your name and your phone number and Pastor Adam or myself will call you. We'll have coffee or soda or water or whatever you drink and, and we'll, we'll talk about your questions. We'll look into the Word of the Lord and see what He says. Don't leave your eternity up to chance. And, and I also wonder how many people we know in our close circles of friendship or family that are traveling on that broad road and simply need someone to point them to the narrow gate. The narrow gate is the path to life, not destruction. It, it's the path to adventure, not boringness. Is boringness even a word? According to Jesus, there are only two options. Hard and easy. There's no middle way. Entered by two gates, broad and narrow. There is no other gate. Taken by two crowds, large and small. There is no neutral group. And it ends in two destinations, destruction and life. There is no third alternative. It's not there. So I want to ask that you would join with me this week in praying that the Lord would give you opportunity to point someone to the narrow gate. I know it can sound scary, but man, it's truth and it's real and you're experiencing life. Why not just let somebody else know about it? 
You know, you could ask a question like, have you ever considered Jesus? Or, you know, if they're going through a really hard time. Or, or, or you could open, you know, you could say this. Hey, you know, you're sitting around the, the break room at work. And you could say, hey, you guys, you know, my, my pastor talked on this passage at church. And he talked about narrow gates and broad gates. Are you guys familiar with that? Do you know anything about that? You know, what do you, you know if they do, what do you think? What do you think about it? And then take that opportunity to share what, what it was like for you to, to, to respond to the call of God on your life and to step onto that narrow path. Pray for an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then when He gives it to you, because if you ask for it, He will give it to you. Be ready to seize the moment. And speak of the life that you have in Christ Jesus and yeah, it doesn't heal all the ills of life, but it does eternal life. Now, I read this this week, and I've been thinking about it. I'm not sure what, I'm not sure if I like it completely, but it is true. And and it says this that that if I live my life for Christ and I surrender to Him, and I get to the end of my life, and it's not real. I've merely wasted my life. But if I surrender my life to Jesus Christ and I get to the end of my life and it is real and I'm talking to somebody that hasn't, they have wasted their eternity. It's true. I don't believe... I mean, I believe it's true and it is. We have the evidence. And it's not going to be a wasted life nor a wasted eternity. <laughs> the greatest thing that could ever happen in your life and mine, I think, next to our own salvation is to be used by God to point someone to the narrow gate and to watch them walk through it. Invite them to church next week. Talk to someone after church who's been praying for somebody and he, he's been sharing Christ with him and the, the relationship is, is, is moving along and he's going to invite him to church next week. Next week, we're, we're starting a series called The Greatest. It's going to be just a three-week thing. Have you, have you heard this? I am the greatest! How many of you have heard that? Okay, everybody over 35 at least probably. Who said it? Well, Kenny Rogers... He stole it. No. Who, who, who else said it? Muhammad Ali, right? And, and when we got to talking about this, I, I, was, uh, I was watching videos of Muhammad Ali, you know, and I remember, you know, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, and all of that, but, but I was just, just really little um, when he was actually fighting and stuff, and I'm watching these. I, I, I'm sure they couldn't stand him. He was so arrogant and so prideful. And nobody could stand toe-to-toe with him in the ring. I mean, he backed it up every time. But in the next three weeks, we're going to talk about what it means as a Christian, as a Christ follower, uh, in the church of, of, of our Lord and Savior, to be the greatest. What, what, what does the greatest life look like? What does one who is the greatest, what does that look like? And we're going to look, like that. We're going to look at that over the next three weeks. So let me close in prayer, and uh, we'll conclude our service. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for hard teaching. Thank you for uh, how simple, actually, what, what you taught us today is. 
it's really one choice between, it's, it's one decision between two choices. And, oh Lord, I pray that, that all here have, have surrendered their life and are on the narrow road. And Lord, we need strength. We need help as we, we battle. And, uh, Lord, I pray that everyone in here has raised their white flag and surrendered to you. And, Lord, as we sing this last song, and it would be a cry of our hearts. If there's anyone here, Father, today who, who has not, they're, maybe they're just not sure if they're on the broad road or the narrow road. Lord, I pray that, that you would give them the courage to ask someone, to talk to someone, to mark on a Connect card, to, uh, to meet with a pastor and just talk about their questions. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this church, these people, and the mission that you've given us here in Goshen County and southeastern Wyoming and western Nebraska and the states and, 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 and worldwide. In Christ's name, amen. And if you marked anything on a Connect card, I'd ask you to just put that into the offering plate as it's passed as we sing this last song. Thank you. I invite you to stand with us.